Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to Let Freedom Reign podcast. Before we get started, I just want to let you know, this episode is brought to you by Buckaroo Media, a digital marketing company that focuses on social media that cultivates relationships between brands and their customers. Buckaroo Media prides themselves on building genuine and authentic connections. Digital marketing doesn't have to be overwhelming or overly time-consuming. With Buckaroo Media on your team, you are free to focus on the areas of your business which you are most passionate about, and let Buckaroo Media handle the rest. Check them out on Instagram at buckaroo.media or Facebook at Buckaroo Media. For more information about Buckaroo Media and how they can grow your Western brand, visit buckaroomedia.com. B-U-C-K-A-R-O-O-M-E-D-I-A.com. Oh wait, and one more thing before we get on to the episode. As part of our continued effort here at Let Freedom Reign Podcast to bring awareness to the incredible benefits of horsemanship, we'd like to share with you an event that includes the ultimate horseman in the ultimate show. We're talking about Heart of the Horse, brought to you by Nikki Flundra, who just so happened to be featured in episode 23. Heart of the Horse will be held at Silver Slate Arena in Nanton, Alberta, September 20th through the 22nd. This event will host a colt starting competition to include Dan James, Matt Robertson, and Glenn Stewart, all of which have been previous guests here at Let Freedom Reign Podcast. Sunday, the winning horse will be auctioned off to benefit Robinson Outreach at Rivercross Ranch. Throughout the weekend, there will be horsemanship clinics, demos in liberty and trick riding, a Western artisan competition, trade show, and much more. Join us Saturday night for dinner and dancing and a chance to meet the competitors and other special guests. Let Freedom Rain Podcast will have a booth at the event, and we'll be interviewing guests and fans throughout the event. Stop on by, say hi, and you might have a chance to be a guest on the show. For more information and to purchase tickets, visit theheartofthehorse.ca. We look forward to seeing you all there. Hey everybody, I'm Jason, your host of Let Freedom Reign, an equine industry leading podcast that talks to folks from all different walks of life, who share their testimony of adversities and perseverance, and how the horse has helped them through their journey. Stay tuned, we're going to have a great time. Come along for the ride. Welcome everybody to this week's episode here at Let Freedom Reign Podcast. Again, we want to thank each and every one of you for your continued support of this podcast. This episode marks the start of the second season with some incredible guests to come. Our guest this week is Curtis Anderson, a Canadian bull rider who suffered a traumatic brain injury in 2002. In this episode, Curtis tells the amazing story of his recovery and what he's doing to give back to the traumatic brain injury community. For many of us who've competed in sports, rodeo, and the performance horse world, concussions seem to be a common occurrence. After this episode, you may reconsider the care you take in protecting yourself. As always, you can find us on both Facebook and Instagram under Let Freedom Reign Podcast. We hate to keep you all waiting any longer. Here is our conversation with Curtis Anderson. Yeah, so. It's pretty incredible that you put together the material that you put together. And, and so how often do you go out traveling and speaking and things of that sort? Well, I, that speech there, like that speech is pretty much brand new. I, I've given it uh, five times in public just in the past, well, Two months, I guess, and but while well, I'm speaking, Jason, I want to get to where I'm speaking, you know, a couple times a week, three times a week. Yeah. But right now, it's a few times a month, I guess. Or I speak at a lot of borines and rodeos and some schools and in the oil field at safety meetings and just wherever someone needs a speaker. But I think it's great because your your audience is the exact people 
who could be affected the way you were affected by an injury, right? So you were getting through to people on a far different level of relationship than just some arbitrary speaker coming out to try to halfway motivate somebody. I mean, you have lived it from from being a bull rider, suffering an injury, and now the long road of recovery and the absolute persistence that you've demonstrated over the last, you know, 15, 17 years. Yeah, like one... One dad told me that I was the reason the son's still wearing a helmet riding bulls. So that's a pretty good statement to hear. No, absolutely. And it's incredible that, I mean, I don't know if people necessarily grasp when you suffer traumatic, traumatic brain injury at the level that you did. I mean, you had to learn how to talk again, let alone all the yeah, other motor was, skills and things of that sort. It was like being a baby at 27. How did that process work for you? I mean, what was the first step or what was your first recollection of, I got to fix something. I got a lot of work to do. Yeah, like, and then I remember writing down in my book, Earl Scribbler, that, you know, like I have a lot of work ahead of me, but I also remember writing down, don't feel sorry for yourself. Just have a look around. There's someone in tougher shape. Yeah. And I wrote down it kind of at the beginning there to be a speaker, teach people, and help others. So it's pretty good I'm out there doing that now. I was going to say, and now you're living every single bit of it. Yeah, so it's, the biggest thing with recovery is you'll keep getting better as long as you want to. So do you come from a family of bull riders? I mean, was was rodeo always a thing growing up, or how did you kind of get your start in the Western world? Uh, my neighbor, Mike Falkers, he used to ride bulls, and I just kind of got going from him. And then, you know, I liked rodeo, and then, I don't know, it just seemed something I, that I wanted to do. And you said you were 27 years old at the time of your injury, yeah? Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about that and give it some foundation, because I don't think guests fully understand to this point what exactly took place. So it happened in June of 2002 at the Pinoca Stampede. Why don't we talk about kind yeah. of the weeks leading up to the event and then actually the day of the stampede when you suffered your injury? Okay. Two weeks before my accident at the NFL rodeo, I was, I was knocked out. And uh, so my brain it was already injured to a certain degree and the two hits. And then when I got to the Pinocchio Stampede, I had lost my balance and then my head it smashed the bull's head twice. So like I'm living proof what can happen if you go back too soon without letting your brain heal from the first concussion and your brain is most susceptible in the first two weeks and the second hit does the most damage. And when you bruise, once you get a concussion, your brain it bruises easier and easier all the time, and it doesn't take as much of a hit to get another concussion. I try to explain to people that it's almost like a sprained ankle, right? The first time you sprain it, ah, it's kind of bad, but as you start to sprain it more and more, it's easier and easier and easier, and oftentimes there's more and more damage. And in my experience, brain injuries are the same way because I suffered a... a pretty severe concussion uh, coming out of high school, going into college. And it was so bad that I actually failed medicals and I wasn't able to go to a lot of the schools and play at a lot of the schools that I, I got accepted to and wanted to play. 
because I needed more time to yeah. let my brain heal. Yes, and and that's the biggest thing is people go back people go back too soon all the time, and that's just the biggest part of it. Yeah, but I think the culture was a lot lot different back then, right? I mean. You, oh, you hit your head, you, you have a headache, you throw up, whatever, sleep it off, take some Tylenol or Excedrin or something, and then you're right back to it the next day. Yeah, like, well, I got hurt. Two guys wore a helmet. Now there's probably over 95%. Yeah, it's it's incredible, the cultural change in that. And, you know, at first it was sought after as a weakness, but that had since changed quite a bit um, once people started understanding the benefits. Yeah, no, it's and they're making the helmets better now too. So, yeah, I remember when I uh, actually in high school playing football, I suffered a concussion, and I remember towards the end of the game, a bunch of teammates coming up congratulating me on on passes that I had thrown and touchdowns and and runs that I had made uh, as a quarterback, and I had no recollection of anything that they were talking about. I had no idea what was going on. Probably the whole second half of the football game, I didn't even remember any of it. But apparently I was out playing football. I had no idea. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about about the day of... Kind of set the scene for us and explain what exactly happened that day. Okay, well... I I went to the Pinocchio Stampede, had a bowl, name Real Andy John... And, uh, you know, it was just like another rodeo. And and now, now that I was talking to sports medicine, like they had, you know, they kind of said, maybe don't get on. But I don't, I don't even remember them saying that. But that day, I had a bull named Real Andy, and like he was, he was a bucker. And, uh. I guess, you know, I've never seen it on tape, but they say we went out of shoot and the bull, but he really kicked and he's kind of backing up. And then I just lost my balance. And then my head smashed his head once and then it smashed, smashed him again. And then from there, they rushed me to the University of Alberta Hospital in Edmonton. And that night they did a, craniectomy they they did an operation you know pretty much as soon as I got there and then from there I was in a drug-induced coma for three weeks and then it, it was starting all over at the Glen Rose Hospital and it was I spent a week short of a year in therapy and then the biggest therapy is when you come home and you, you have to you have to decide if you want to get better on your own or just sit sit on the couch. So what for you made that change in, in, in your early stages of recovery? You know, we talked a little bit um, this morning and you talked about an experience of your bare feet feeling the grass for the first time again and actually recalling it. So describe to us some of your more memorable moments of, of rehabilitation and, and what that did to motivate you to, to push on. Well, that, that day when I went outside and I put my bare feet in the grass, it gave a sensation, I mean, that lit up your whole body. You never had another thought in your head just how good that grass felt. And, you know, it, 
it felt a good that I managed to lay myself right down in the grass and just soak it all in, I guess. And I mean, even to this day, to walk bare feet in the grass, it lights things up. And then when I was at the Helva Johnson Center for Brain Injury, I took a therapeutic riding course and we were able to go riding once a week. And just to be around horses again, just to smell horses. And at that time, I was just starting to walk more and more. So it really helped with my balance. And it, it gave me something to look forward to every week. And just, well, to be around. You can't put words to be around a horse again. So that was, that was one of the highlights. That's absolutely a premise of this show, right? The great things that the horses do for the human beings. Let's let's talk a little bit more about your your horsemanship program. When you when you first started going to that program, where were you at physically, and then how did you improve as the different different facets of the program took place? Well, I I, I mean when that when the therapeutic riding program I started going to it, I was already walking, but when I just going to being on a horse again, I mean, you know how good it is for your balance. Yeah. And I mean, you can imagine when you're struggling with your balance, just how much being on a horse is going to improve it. And then it just made my walking a lot solider and a lot more, I guess, sound on my feet. That's great. That's great. So what for you provided that drive when you were, when you're going through the early stages of recovery and the early stages of rehabilitation, what was your motivating factor to just wake up every day? Because you were faced with what seemed to be insurmountable odds and literally starting over in many aspects of your life. Yeah, it was like, I mean, it was like being a baby again at 27, but I just, I just wanted to get better. And I just kept, you know, once I was able to do what, one thing I just kept on, I guess, raising the bar to get better and to be able to help others. I mean, that's a big part of recovery. Can People can see the recovery that you've made, you know, from where I was at to where I'm at now. And it gives them, I guess, inspiration, you know, maybe that things aren't all that bad and they can, they too can recover from what they're facing. Yeah. And we, we had talked earlier on this show with uh, J.R. Vizane, who suffered a devastating injury uh, almost a year ago to the date. And that was one thing that he talked about in his recoveries when he was going into rehab. He was motivated by everybody else on the floor that was that was in rehab with him, you know, and they all came together and pushed each other and, and really all were pushing for the same success. And, and that was one thing that really, really pushed him to just try that much harder every day and and take the small victories as big victories, you know, and don't, don't consider them insignificant. Yeah. Like, I mean, like when you go out in public and you see a set of stairs, there's usually only a, a railing on one side of them. And I mean, it, it took me eight years before I could use that left railing. It was probably one of the biggest achievements. It took me 10 years before I can touch each finger on my left hand to my thumb. You know, that would take anyone else four seconds, and that took me 10 years to do. So that was a pretty big day, too. And for listeners to better understand 
where you were when you first suffered your injury and where you are today. What was your initial diagnosis and what were some of the challenges faced? And then what are the successes that you've had to date as far as regaining use of limbs and obviously speaking and writing and things of that sort? Well, like the Glasgow Coma Scale, it measures the degree of the concussion and it starts at 15 and goes down to three. And I was a three. I mean, that's as low as you can go. So I was an extremely severe traumatic brain injury survivor. And I basically, I mean, I learned how to talk again. I mean, I remember it was to pronounce some vowels and then words and then putting vowels in the words. And then, like, at the beginning, my, my speech was pretty rough. You couldn't quite understand it, but... A lot of people tell me that my speech is still getting more clear. My everyday speech is getting more clear all the time. And with walking, again, the beginning, the physiotherapist would walk alongside you, teaching you how to walk step by step, and it'd be your cane, your left foot, and then your right. And there would be an assistant walking behind you with a wheelchair so you could take a break once in a while. And with my left hand, in the beginning, I had to move it with my right. And I remember tossing beanbags from the edge of a table into a pail. And now I can, you know, tie my August skates and strum a guitar and just other things. That's amazing. And and for folks that don't know, so the Glasgow Coma Scale kind of measures three different aspects of cognitive function, right? How your eyes respond, yeah. how you can speak or your, your motor function and speaking, and then obviously your physical motor function. So to score a three means your eyes don't open at all. You have no verbal yeah. response to stimuli, and you have no motor response. So when you talk about starting from square one, you literally were starting from square one. And now you talk about lacing up ice skates and things of that sort. I, I could lace up hockey skates. Now, the problem for me is actually getting up on them and, and skating, but <laughs> it's incredible to yeah. hear the successes that you've had and and how far you've pushed. And at what point in your recovery did you decide that I need to take my experience and I need to help other people. It was about, I think, eight years after the accident. I just wanted to, I just sat down and wrote kind of everything that went on. My first speech was called Road to Recovery. And then with my skating, I started put had the skates back on six months after the accident. And I had a chair in front of me, and my dad skated beside me, held my bell loop. And then after the first winter, I was able to get rid of the chair. And then dad would skate beside me, then he let me go for a ways. But now I can go up and down the center of the ice by myself, and I can go around the whole rink without stopping now. So my skating's getting more smooth also. That's impressive, to say the least. Very impressive. So how how did you get to the point where you decided, you know, I'm I'm going to take this take this show on the road per se and start start doing public speaking and starting to raise awareness about helmet safety and traumatic traumatic brain injuries. Well, I just thought, you know, I'd like, I wanted to share my story, and if I can share my make a difference with one person in the crowd, you know, that they want to go home and put a helmet on their kids or take time off after a concussion. So it's I get. A lot of good response when I go out speaking, and there's people that come up and talk to me after. And a lot of times, people have someone in their family, or they know someone with a brain injury. So it's 
pretty good chance that I went down some of the same steps recovery that they have. So it's a lot. It's good for another survivor to hear another survivor story. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely motivating to see somebody who's gone through it personally and maybe is a few miles down the road to recovery and, and seeing the success. Yeah. So I was going to say, if we have some time here on the show, and I know you talked about developing this this newer speech. Do you mind sharing some of it with us? or? No, I'd love to. Well, the floor is yours, sir. Have at it. Hello, everyone. Curtis Anderson, the speech that you're going to hear is called Life Goes On. June 27th, 02, I'm at the Pinocchio Stampede. It was scorching hot outside. The last thing that I remember was setting my rope on a bull named Real Handy. They opened the gate and boom, boom, my head smashed his head twice. I spent the first three weeks in a drug-induced coma at the U of A hospital. First thing that I remember was the ambulance ride over to the Glenrose. I didn't know where I was going or what had happened. One day I realized that I could no longer walk, talk, or regain use my left arm. You soon find out how strong you are and what you're made of. One day you're able to talk to your family. The next time you see them, you have to write everything down in a scribbler to communicate. I had to move my left arm with my right. The physiotherapist would teach me how to walk for an hour a day. And it'd be your cane, your left foot, and then your right. The first step of independence that I had was when I was able to make my own transfers into the wheelchair. I was then able to take myself to therapy and for the meals. I went outside and I put my bare feet in the grass. It gave a sensation that lit up your whole body. One day, I spoke at the Health Johnson Center for Brain Injury, and one of the survivors told one of the nurses that hearing my speech was motivation for them to keep going in their recovery. It doesn't get better when you hear a statement like that. I talked to a lot of parents of survivors. They tell me it seems like their child's recovery is going slow, and I remind them to look back at where their child started till now, and there will be mountains of difference. The first few years, everyone gets the impression that you can't do anything, but you're better off to do it on your own, because if you never try, you won't get better. It doesn't matter if it takes you 10 times as long, you're still able to do it on your own. When your slate is wiped white clean, the smallest achievement is like climbing a mountain. When I went out to dinner for the first time, rolling in there in my chair was like being hit by a baseball bat. You hear everyone talking, all the background noise, then everyone stops and stares at you and they say it's too much and that's too much stimulation. I was part of an oral motor group. We would take turns pronouncing vowels and then words. The first words that I had to tell the world was, my ass is sore. After every meal, I would have to sit in my chair for over an hour before I was able to lay down. One day, the frustration was building up and I got mad as hell and I threw my cane on the top of the roof. Then I looked up there and realized that sure did a lot of good when I needed that cane to walk. I spoke at a school in Strathmore one spring 
I seen one of the boys in the fall and I asked him how my speech went over. He told me that 20 kids started wearing the helmet after I spoke. I spoke out in elementary school in Pinoca this spring. I seen one of the boys, a seven-year-old boy walked up to me and said, I would like to thank you for not giving up. Those are pretty strong words coming from a seven-year-old. I talked to Greg Wayanko, and he was the paramedic to put the intervenous on me in the arena that day. I met Rob McKenzie this summer at the Pinocchio Stampede, and he was the paramedic to help me start breathing again. It's pretty darn powerful when you can shake hands with the man that gave you the opportunity to live. I talked to a doctor. He said, Curtis, you're not out of the woodworks yet, but the trees are getting farther and farther apart. Well, I can see more and more daylight now. And then determination, dedication, try, grit, courage, confidence, commitment, optimism, patience, perseverance, resilience, tenacity, strength, and patience is a choice until it's the only choice that you have. I have never walked a mile in anyone else's boots, but I know what it means to never give up. It took me eight years to use the left railing on a set of stairs, nine years to tie my hockey skates, and tie 10 years to touch each finger to my thumb on my left hand. And big part of your recovery is acceptance and realizing that life is not a matter of holding good cards, but making the most of the cards that you have been dealt. I have played in my hand and I know the bottom line, there is no such thing as I can't with any challenge that you face in life. Be the person that's going to make a difference in someone else's life. One day, someone is going to make a difference in yours. Thank you. I think the greatest point that you touch on in that speech is when you start to talk about acceptance. And and sometimes we just don't have control over the hand that we're dealt, but the perspective in which you take on that challenge plays a far greater role in the outcome or the success that you have rather than the circumstances that, that you're dealt, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. Like, it's, I mean, you have to realize, you know, where you're at and, and don't ever settle for just how, you know, where you're at now in your recovery because you can always get better. And the biggest part of recovery is you'll keep getting better as long as you want to. Yeah, that's a great point. That's a great point. That you have more control over your success than, than what you think. Yeah. So besides the public speaking that you do, I want to talk about Courage Canada. Can you kind of explain how that program came to be, how you started to become involved, and, and where it's at today? Yeah, in 2004, I founded the Courage Canada Trail Ride to support bringing awareness and the ride was started to put brain injury on the map, but also for a chance, a chance for survivors to be around the horses and the sunshine and other survivors. And a lot of the, there, there are survivors, like we support four different brain injury centers. And there's been years where there's been survivors from all four centers, but a lot of the years from three centers and a lot of the same survivors come back year after year after year because it's it's a big day it, 
they, they wouldn't get this opportunity if Courage Candle wasn't there. So, I mean, horses, again, are giving back a chance for survivors, you know, to experience that lifestyle for a day. And, you know, they talk, they talk about it. I stopped at the centers, and that's the first thing they talk about is the Courage Candle trail ride and how much fun they had. And we've raised, you know, a fair bit of money on the ride over the years. But, I mean, the money's great, but you can't put a number on how much awareness that's been raised. We, we got lots of media. I mean, we get radio, TV, magazines, newspapers. So it, it goes a long way. And that was a passion that I saw in you when we were first put in contact about you as a potential guest on this show. Is it the fire and the drive that you have to bring awareness to everybody Right, not just the people of rodeo, but everybody, as far as traumatic brain injury and helmet safety, and what you can do to give yourself a far greater chance of success. Because I think the lion's share of us that that ride horses or or buck and stock that we kind of take it for granted, right? I mean, everything can change literally in the blink of an eye, but we oftentimes ride so well for so long that we don't think it could happen to us. You know, and, and I think anybody that saddles a horse or or ties one on is running that risk every single chance, you know. So it's incredible to see the passion and the drive that you have and and your willingness to help others in bringing awareness to traumatic brain injury. Yeah, and that's, like, that's one thing I, like, I mean, I love speaking and I love talking to others. And I mean, I hear a lot of stories from families or just, and I talk to a lot, a lot of the guys at Borides, you know, one-on-one and, you know, like tell them, you know, like, I mean, I tell them I'm living proof what can happen if you go back too soon without taking enough time off after concussion. Yeah. So it hits, hits home. Definitely, definitely. And with Courage Canada and that trail ride, it, who is exactly involved in that? Because you were explaining to me, you don't have to necessarily be able to ride a horse to participate in that trail ride. I mean, you accommodate a wide range of, of traumatic brain injury survivors. Yeah. Like we have, like there's, you know, some people from around here, they have teams. So they, I mean, one year we had up to six wagons on the trail ride. So like, and one guy is, his wagon is even wheelchair accessible. So that gave a survivor from Lloyd minister an opportunity to take part in the ride, you know, and he was, you know, being that that guy's wagon was wheelchair accessible, and, and that guy, the survivor that was in the chair, I mean, that's how he got his traumatic brain injury was from a horse accident, so that was a big day for him to be around horses again and take part in the ride, and yeah, it's just, it helps survivors in a lot of different ways. Yeah, it's probably great for them just to get out of the routine, right, of of life. and. Yeah, I'm pretty lucky. I get out in the boat quite a bit, but for some survivors, you know, they don't they don't get out of the, you know, the challenge around here very often. So it's just, it's an outing. And then, plus, I mean, the money that goes, that we, that we donate, it pays for them to go on more field trips throughout the year. So it's more than just one day. And where where is this trail ride held? Do you hold it in the same city every year, or does it, it travel around? Uh, it actually starts 
Yeah, we it starts in my pasture and goes through the neighbor's pastures, and then we just turn around and come back. Mm-hmm. But it's, I, I guess it'd be great. Like in, it's my Minburn, and then we have a, we have a big supper, and there we have a silent live auction, and then we have a, a dance, and cowboy church in the morning. So it's, it's a pretty big do. Yeah, yeah. And what time of year do you have this? The last Saturday in May every year. Awesome. So if people were to, if people wanted to find more information on this event, where could they go? Well, the best for them to find more information would just be to call me at 780-581-4802. Perfect, perfect. And your social media presence, what social media pages do you have? I'm on Instagram under Curtis Anderson six, and then I'm on LinkedIn also. But I'm going to be getting on Twitter here soon too, also. So perfect. And your Instagram handle is Curtis Anderson and the number six at the end, correct? Right. Yeah. So let's talk a lot about the what Courage Canada does as far as giving back. I mean, you touched on it very briefly earlier. Is, as far as the donations going back to facilities, but what specifically is the intention of giving back and, and what are you guys trying to do for these brain injury centers? Well, the big part of it, like, I mean, the local brain injury centers, you know, like, like a lot of these places, they can get grants, but none of it's for, it, it can't go towards any travel. So the money that goes to some of these centers, you know, it does. It helps them pay for travel so that they can take survivors on field trips, and then, and then to be able to so that there's no cost on the survivor or the center, it pays for the survivor to go on the ride next year. So it's just you know it's just a day for them not to worry about any money, just to come out and have a good time. And then the money that goes to the Halbert Johnson Center for Brain Injury. I was there for eight months, and I was purchased therapy equipment. So, I mean, I guess with the help of Courage Canada, they're able to get more modern equipment and, you know, help survivors recover in different ways. That's awesome. What for you has been, what has been your greatest challenge in your recovery, and, and what were some of the lessons learned from it? Well, I'd say, you know, like, my walking came back first, and then my, or no, my speech, I guess, came, started to come back, and then my walking, but my left arm has definitely been the most work, but just being able to do things that you couldn't do last year, like, just any new achievement is is an award. It's been incredible to hear your story. It's been incredible to hear your passion, your fire um, in bringing awareness to traumatic brain injuries. And as we close, I like to give every guest the opportunity to kind of share their life lessons learned or, or maybe advice that they would want to share with somebody who might be on the road to recovery or might be traveling a trail that you have traveled in life. So is there anything that you would like to share with people in closing to kind of help push them along or, or words that you live by? 
Well, number one, you don't get better sitting on the couch. And if you're in, if you're in recovery, make sure you go to all your therapies and rest when you can rest. And if there's anybody that wants to talk to me about, you know, about their recovery or share this story with me, I mean, I'm all, I'm all ears. I'd like to hear, hear you and hear your story and how you're making out. Curtis, I thank you very much for your time here at Let Freedom Reign podcast. Uh, you're an incredible human being, and what you're doing for the traumatic brain injury community is just absolutely second to none, and we appreciate all your efforts. And I'd like to thank you for having me on today to help raise awareness and, I guess, share my story. Absolutely, sir. And if there's anything that we can do in the future to help support you or any of your causes in this pursuit, uh, please do not hesitate to reach out one single bit. Thank you, and thanks all the listeners for tuning in. Thanks again, everybody, for listening to this episode of Let Freedom Reign Podcast. Again, you can find us on social media under Let Freedom Reign Podcast. If you want to support the growth of this podcast, go to patreon.com forward slash Let Freedom Reign Podcast. Again, we thank you, and we'll see you on the next one.